Hello and welcome to the St Joseph's Hospice podcast. We are based in North Liverpool and we provide compassionate end-of-life care to around 200 patients every year. My name is Zoe and over the next six episodes we're going to meet lots of interesting people and find out all about St Joseph's Hospice and its place in the heart of our community. We will be talking to staff, volunteers and families about the hospice and their own personal experiences of it, which we hope will help you to learn more about hospice care and the very special place that is St Joseph's Hospice. So, on to this week's show. And welcome to the first ever episode of our brand new podcast here at St Joseph's Hospice. This episode is going to be an introduction to the hospice, who we are and what we do, our history and some of our plans for the future. Today I've got with me Mike Parr and Claire Waller who are going to introduce themselves to you just now. Hi Zoe, thanks for inviting me along. Uh, My name is Mike, Mike Parr, I'm CEO here at St Joseph's Hospice. I've worked in hospices for about 12 years, I think now, but I've been here at St Joseph's for just over six years now. Hi Zoe, thank you for inviting me here today. So my name's Claire, I'm a clinical director here at St Joseph's. I've been in the hospice sector now for about 25 years, and for the past five and a half years it's been here at St Joseph's. Thank you, it's lovely to have both of you with us today. So let's start off with talking a little bit about what hospice care is and, and why it's important. Mike, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think, I think hospice, well we should say probably hospices have been around for decades actually and hospice care has changed over that period. Um, there was a, a big growth in hospices in the 1980s but St Joseph's, as, as you all know, has been here for almost 50 years now and, and hospice care has changed over that period. It's important because I think we we address palliative care holistically. So we deal with, obviously, patients, but also with friends and family as well because we believe that's important. Um, If you lose someone, um, you carry that with you for for the rest of your life, and we think it's important to make that experience as bearable as possible for people. Um, I think... Hospices, hospices provide a different kind of care to hospitals, to acute care. Both are important, but they are different. And I think we are, as a charity, being relatively independent or independently funded uh, gives us the opportunity to to add different dimensions to that care and different aspects to that patient journey and to the, to the family's experience as well. So I think both hospitals and hospices uh, and other aspects of, of care are important, but I think we, we obviously do things a little bit differently to mainstream care services, uh, and primarily that is around uh, the additional kind of services we provide and the support that we give to families. But Claire's probably got a slightly different clinical spe- perspective on that as well. I think the care that we give here at St Joseph's is in any <coughs> hospice, it's a fantastic care. Um, we focus very much on quality of life, and um, we can put quality into patients' time that they've got left. Um, we look at the patient holistically, pain control, emotional, psychological support, and also look after the families and friends, like Mike said. Um, we're very much nurse-led here. Um, we've got a fantastic team of registered nurses and healthcare assistants who are led by the inpatient unit manager, Marion Banks, and ward sister, Debbie Fletcher. 
Um, and we also have a doctor, um, Funess, who comes, he's a GP, who comes three times a week to review our patients. And we also have the support of consultants in palliative care from Aintree Hospital. No, that's great. Thank you for, for giving us that insight into, into hospice care and also the difference, which I think a lot of people will be interested in, between hospitals and, and hospice care and, and how we're different from that. Mm-hmm. St Joseph's has actually been around for, for quite some time now, um, sort of heading towards our 50th anniversary. Mike, do you want to tell us a bit more about the background to the hospice and Father mm. O'Leary? Yeah, well, as, as some people will know, Father O'Leary uh, began the, his work as, uh, in charities way back in the 60s, I think in 62, uh, when he was trained as a priest. Um, and he started off by establishing hospices abroad, um, our first hospice was in Rawalpindi in Pakistan and there followed ultimately about 12 hospices um, in different parts of the world that are now operating independently and autonomously uh, but without Father O'Leary those places wouldn't exist and that they're very different we, we talked earlier on about how hospice care has evolved um, but hospice care means different things in different parts of the world as well and it, I guess some of it's responsive to uh, local conditions and local situations, uh, things like what kind of state support people get, for example, or any prevailing conditions in different parts of the world. Partway through uh, his work abroad, he bought uh, the hospice as we know it today on the site at Thornton um, on a wing and a prayer, I think it's fair to say. An incredible achievement, really, without any um, huge amounts of capital at the back of him. Uh, managed to establish this place which has grown over the years um, but back in 74 it was a very different place it, it was essentially an old house, big house um, and, and the site's grown since then so rather than the one uh, relatively small unit we've now got two buildings and we've grown up to 31 beds uh, obviously over that time as well clinical practices evolved uh, the way we provide palliative care, drugs regimes and so forth, which I'm sure Claire will talk more about. But it's been a journey. Um, and without Father O'Leary, the, the, this place simply wouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it used to be a very Catholic community, wasn't it, at St mm. Joseph's Hospice? Mm. Um, but obviously, as you've been saying, hospice care has evolved, but also the hospice itself mm. has evolved in terms of, of that, that religion. Mm. Um, can you just tell us a little bit more about, about that? Yeah, well, we, we are a very inclusive place, I think um, it's fair to say. And there are, there are different drivers for that. Obviously, society changes, and we as a charity, as a hospice, want to be inclusive and uh, take people regardless of any faiths or beliefs, whether they have a faith or not. Uh, we're also a commission service, which is important as well. So from an NHS perspective, um, it, it's expected, rightly, that we are inclusive and, and wouldn't exclude anyone on any grounds of, of religion or race or, or any other uh, factor. So, yeah, it has evolved. But I think it's important to say that without that legacy, we wouldn't be here, and I think it's something we don't and can't forget. Um, and we've had some fantastic support from people who still remember Father O'Leary as well as other parts of the community as well so there are people who support us now who perhaps aren't so familiar with Father O'Leary's story but have had experience of hospice care and want to support us so I think the way we've changed is also reflected in that broad base of support uh, as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, you know, that's our legacy and a very proud history mm. of the hospice. But, you know, we are now in 2022 and mm. looking forward and looking to move into, into the future mm. and how we can move the hospice forward and evolve it even further, both in terms of sort of the actual hospice itself, the grounds, the, mm. the buildings and in terms of, of the clinical side of it. Mm. Um, so question to both of you really is what, what is your vision for moving forward, sort of both in terms of the actual hospice and in terms of of clinical well I think part of it is taking a step back and, and recognising where we are you know so we're, we, as you say we're in 2022 in some respects the service model is quite anachronistic so it's, it's an inpatient based hospice so we have 31 beds uh, where people come to stay with us to receive palliative care um, we don't have outreach services, we don't have day services at present. So part of the five-year plan that we have in place is to is to develop those services so that uh, we can reach more people. and We can reach people who aren't ready for inpatient care. We can reach people who are um, further back of that journey. We can also reach relatives, people who are impacted in some other way by an end-of-life experience, whether it's someone who's been bereaved. Um, we're aware of the rise of lots of conditions now that perhaps 20, 30 years ago weren't, weren't on people's radar, so obviously dementia being one of those, and that's part of our work to try and make the hospice more dementia-friendly, but also to reach out to people who have become isolated. Uh, social isolation is uh, much more prevalent now than it used to be, spouses surviving um, their partners uh, and we want to provide a safe space uh, for them as well um, so I think in terms of the footprint of the hospice that is going to require some some work to provide a facility to host that kind of service and also we are really interested in providing non-clinical therapies as well so uh, complementary therapies uh, bereavement support and, and personal care actually as well because Sometimes it can be quite difficult for people to access personal care, particularly if they're ill. And I think for us to be able to provide that kind of support, as well as a safe space for people to meet and, and to come uh, if they live alone, or for carers, actually, because caring can be quite a lonely existence if you can't get away and don't have anyone else to talk to. So to be able to provide some space where if you can get out of the house for an afternoon um, and someone else take over your duties to be able to come here because as you know Zoe, we, we are so lucky 12 acres of woodland beautiful so. surroundings so we tend to think of ourselves now as a community hospice so we are in and of our community and we want to share this space as far as possible with the community and I guess the final bit of that uh, is looking at how we can open up the grounds more so we've looked at how we can lay footpaths how we can make the grounds more accessible um, to, to a, re- a mobility standard. Of course, all of that costs huge amounts of money, so uh, we, we aren't short of the ideas. The, the delay in that, bringing that to fruition is accessing the capital to enable us to do it. But broadly, those are, those mm-hmm. are the ideas that we want to take forward over the next five years. So a lot that's going to be happening. It's it? exciting times, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, Claire, you've talked a little bit about looking after the families as well as the patients. 
But can you tell us a little bit more about sort of the experience of the families being able to kind of spend this time with their loved one and sort of taking that caring responsibility away from them? Yeah, I think coming into the hospice, uh, the families get this sense of support, you know, emotional support that they, they need themselves as well. And you get a sense of relief as well that they're coming here and their loved one will be well looked after. And they can step away from that role of being carer to daughter, son, husband, wife, um, grandma, you know, whatever their role is to that person who's here. And staff very much look after visitors and ask questions, answer questions, and we encourage visitors to answer questions as well about what's going on with the care of their loved one and what's happening, because changes can happen very, very quickly when somebody's very poorly. And it's important that the families are kept up to date with what's going on, um, so their understanding is up to date and they're not getting frightened and more anxious than they need to be. There's, there's a trust thing, isn't there? Sure. I, I was chatting to somebody else, I can't remember where now, and the, the, the essence of the conversation was around that relationship between you know, staff in whatever context it is and, and the patient mm-hmm. and developing that trust where relatives and, and the patient trust the clinician to 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 be straight with them, to yeah. give them the information they need, but also it's, it's a little bit more than that somehow. I can't the essence of that relationship, but it, it is that interpersonal relationship mm. that that transcends policies and procedures and everything else. Yeah. And that's about having the right people, isn't it? And I do think we are very lucky having the right kind of people yeah. here caring for yeah. patients because it does help develop that trust and that bond between the, the, yeah. the nurses and the families, doesn't it? It really, really does. Very, very important. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just the, the nurses, although they're obviously a huge part of, mm. of the care yeah. at the hospice, but there's a, there's a wider team, isn't there, that mm. make everything run and, and help provide that care. The hospice couldn't run without the wider team. Everybody works together <coughs> as a team. Everybody's got their own roles together we work together well as a team you know we've got a fantastic domestic department catering laundry we do our own laundry on site and everybody's here to do their best for the patients and the family and we've got a fantastic fundraising team you know we're all doing what they can you know to raise the, the funds that we need and on top of that we've got amazing volunteers and i've got receptionists who are all you know volunteer staff we've got war clerks who do an amazing job um, and they do a lot of the admin duties which takes which previously took a lot of time that the nurses mm. did, which now the nurses then can spend their time there with the patients. Um, so everybody's working together for the benefit of the patients and their families. I always think of it as like, well, like all hospices, but it's like a mini hospital, isn't it? Everything's mm. on site. All the stuff you can see and the stuff you can't, mm. all the back of house stuff, the finance, the HR, the admin, all the rest of it, as well as those slight, you know, somewhat more obvious services like laundry cleaning, mm. catering, but it, it, everything is contained on this one site, like a mini hospital. Mm. And it's lovely to hear, you know, like the domestic staff when they're cleaning in the patient's room, you know, the interaction as well, mm. so they'll go in and, and get to know the patients as well. and have that conversation yeah and I know certainly from a fundraising perspective we get to know a lot of the families as well Mm -hmm. and and have some really lovely conversations with them and it's just I think it hesitate to use the word family but it is just that sort of family feel isn't it of sort of everybody knowing each other and and creating that atmosphere yeah Yeah, I think it's it's interesting that isn't it because it's like we were talking about trust before the relationships seemed here whether it's between patients and staff or 
staff and relatives or whichever, they kind of transcend normal relationships out because it is quite a it's an emotive environment to be in, isn't it? And I think that that drives that intensity sometimes of those relationships, doesn't it? It makes them stronger. It really does. Yeah, it's a time of high emotion, isn't mm. it, for a lot of people and yeah. 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 So whatever we can do to, to help them on that Absolutely. on that process. Mm-hmm. So Claire, I think a, a, an interesting thing for for people to know would be a little bit more about who do we actually care for? Who are the people that come into us? So patients that come into us are from the CCGs, so we, we tend to get patients predominantly from Sefton and Liverpool CCG. That's not to say that we don't accept patients from other um, CCGs as well. Um, so patients come to us and they have a prognosis up to about six months um, but that's not to say patients don't come here and, you know, uh, their expectation, their life expectation you know, can last a little bit longer than that. Every patient has to have continuing healthcare funding and that part funds their place here at the hospice and the charity then pays the rest of um, their place here. Um, so we care for patients. I think historically people think hospices were for cancer patients, um, which is untrue. Uh, we care for a wide variety of illnesses, um, <coughs> end-stage chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, heart failure, um, there's lots and lots, you know, the list is endless. Um, and we are seeing a rise of patients with dementia um, here at the hospice. Um, so we, you know, we look at every referral we get and to see if we can meet the patient's needs and here is suitable for those patients. So yeah, quite a wide range of, of different people that we get in. And what kind of care do we provide? Like what, what goes on here in a sort of typical day? So like I said before, we're very much nurse-led here and we, you know, we've got um, the inpatient unit manager is a non-medical prescriber. So that means that within a formula that she's been given, um, she can prescribe medication. Um, we holistically, we, you know, we, we do like the, assist the patients with the washing and the dressing and you know, if the patients need help with um, helping uh, with their food and diet, we assist the patient um, with that as well. Um, but it's talking to the patient, getting to know the patient. What do they want to achieve before they die? Is there anything they want to do? And it could be something similar like they want to see their dog or their cat, uh, you know, which is a great comfort to, to many patients. Um, so, so it's like getting to know them uh, and the families uh, and how we can help. It's about quality. I, I think that's one of the things I'm most proud of here because yeah. when, when we look and we get to know a patient, it can be anything from what would you like for your dinner yeah. and people will get whatever they, they yeah. want for the dinner. We've brought in the uh, virtual reality oh, headsets yes. that allow people to just kind of be anywhere and yeah, do anything to escape. Yes. From, the, from yeah. their own bed. Uh, we're looking at bringing CCTV in, aren't we, to, so yeah. that... People can see from the TVs, they can see outside into the grounds. Mm. Um, so it, it, it's absolutely right that, and that's that's what it's all about, isn't it? Getting to know people, yeah. relatives as well, but primarily patients and finding out what makes them tick, you know, yeah. what's going to make you more comfortable. Yeah. Getting to know the person behind the illness. Mm. Yeah, not, yeah. Yeah. not just the illness. It's the holistic, isn't it's it? Not just looking at the illness, yes. but... And like Mike said, no, we just alluded to the virtual reality headsets that we've got. They mm, are just absolutely fantastic. fantastic. We've had some, you know, lovely stories of patients who've been in pain and they've put the virtual reality headsets on. And instead of needing the painkiller, 
the, you know, the virtual reality has taken them away, deep sea diving or to the moon and you know to space, and it's just absolutely fantastic. That's amazing, isn't it? And people can see more of the virtual reality on our social media as well. So you can always go and have a look at. We've got a video on there of it in action as well. Um, if people want to see that. And just to say as well, you know, like with the care on the wards, we've got amazing volunteers, you know, patient befrienders who actually come in as well, volunteer their time to come in to sit with the patients again and to get the other patients to read them the paper or the book. It's lovely to see the befrienders getting the patients outside as well in the gardens. Mm. Um, and so, you know, the families are also getting patients outside as well, so it's lovely. Yes, and just talking about that quality and being able to, to spend that peaceful time, um, we've also got, haven't we, Mike, a new um, wildlife garden and bee garden, yeah. which is being established at the moment. Yeah, well, I'm glad you've mentioned that because it, it is, it's one of those things that perhaps, it's not a huge, um, a huge project, but it, it does make a difference to the quality mm-hmm. of the site. So we've dedicated an area um, a, a little bit away from the clinical units, but we dedicated an area to, to a wildflower meadow, as you say, and that was previously, it was unused, and planted it out with a little grant. Uh, we got five beehives on there now, and I think it just adds to the, for one thing, the biodiversity locally, but it also adds to the ambiance of the site as well. And we've got different areas. Uh, we, we've got our uh, stations of the cross garden, stroke quiet garden, where people can go and sit. We just had a grant to get that refenced as well. So there are little pockets of tranquility around the place, as well as the woodlands themselves. Reference really back to the footpath thing. I think you know it'd be nice to make those areas, the woodlands in general, more accessible, but, which is on the cards. But yeah, we, we do work in and around the grounds where we can access grants for that kind of environmental improvement. We do, and historically we've used the honey in the kitchen at the hospice. <laughs> Uh, which is lovely because yes. people will tell you there are various therapeutic benefits to having locally sourced honey, um, as well as the it just it's a really feel good factor, isn't it, to be able to bank? I think we had forty odd jars, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly, last year of uh, St Joseph's Hospice honey. Yeah, and it's just all adding to this holistic approach, isn't it, where the mm. families can go and have that peaceful time or the patients yes. or. And it just adds to, to all of that quality that we're providing here, doesn't it? Well, we're rich in wildlife, aren't we? I mean, there are so many species on, on this site. You know, we've had deer, foxes, owls, um, bats, um, squirrels, of course. Uh, and I don't know how many different kinds of invertebrates, but uh, it really is a very rich and biodiverse site. And it, that's not just a word. It's not just a, um, you know, a throwaway comment. I mean, I think it's important because it really adds if you'll pardon the pun, it adds to the buzz of the place. I mean, it makes it feel alive. It's a, it's a nice place. It does, and I think it's part of what we're, what we're known for, isn't it? Is, mm. is being in this environment, and it's a big part of yeah. of who we are, so so it is important. Mm. And anyone can come and access the grounds, Absolutely. can't they? You know, yep. get a lot of people dog walking and coming and enjoying the woodlands. Well, you know, we've made a virtue of that, really. I think we've always been very much open to the community, and whether you come and walk your dog, jog through... Or, or just come in, frankly, just come in to enjoy the quietude and the peace and uh, just enjoy the general environment of the place. It's, um, mm. it's open to anybody. Mm. Absolutely. Well, thank you both um, for joining us today. I think that's been really interesting 
to find out more about what actually goes on here in the environment of, mm. of St. Joseph's. Well, thanks for asking. Thank you. We will be talking in future episodes much more about, you know, the staff and what goes on, you know, as we said, behind the scenes as well as the more obvious roles. We'll be talking to some of our clinicians, fundraising staff, mm. um, volunteers and families as well so that we can hear about the sort of whole experience at, at mm. the hospice. Um, so, yeah, I hope you've enjoyed hearing about what we do and who we are and that you'll join us for future episodes. Thanks. So, that, I really enjoyed that. It was, uh, what we, I don't think I was sure what to expect. So I've listened to a lot of podcasts and I thought, oh, crikey, what the world really doesn't need is one more podcast. But actually, that's been great fun. And I do think, um, I think it's going to be helpful, hopefully, for people to listen to that and get a sense of what's going on here. Yes. So, yeah, thanks for inviting me along. Thank you again, Zoe, for me. It's been great um, participating in this podcast. So, thank you. Yes. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to the St Joseph's Hospice podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, please help us to spread the word by sharing it on social media. Before we go, we would love it if you would leave us a review. And if you have a burning question about hospice care, let us know and we'll try and answer it in a future podcast. To find out more about St Joseph's Hospice, to make a donation or to volunteer for us, you can find out more on our website at www.stjhospice.org.uk. To make sure you catch the next episode, please subscribe to this podcast. Bye for now, and we'll see you next time.